0: Have you ever started something and once you get into it, you realize there's a lot more to it than you realized? Wendy and I love to watch uh, this show and every once in a while we'll pop a couple episodes on and and this first time flippers and and it's an absolute train wreck. That's why we like to watch it. And uh, basically the premise of the show is you have people that have never ever before like done most of the time never have done construction. Um, and decide that, you know, a really easy way to make money will be just to transform a house and then put it on the market and hopefully sell it. And usually the story always is the same. It's like, hey, we've seen this done. We can do this. It'll be easy. And almost every storyline is the same. It's much more work than it was ever. It costs more. It takes more time than ever expected. And every once in a while, you even have people that never actually finish the project. And the reason is because they didn't really count the cost. They didn't really count the cost. And and it's interesting because Jesus talked about what it meant to follow him and that anybody who decided to follow Jesus should count the cost. And, And honestly, that's kind of contrary to some of the messaging that we hear about what it means to follow Jesus. You know, we hear that, you know, once you have like made that decision to follow Jesus and Everything goes well. Everything goes great. Like, you know, your health is taken care of. You're going to have wealth. It's going to be awesome. And yet Jesus, over and over and over again, as he talks to his followers, says, hey, it's going to be a lot different than that. And an example of that is found in Luke chapter 14. And what's interesting is Jesus always seems to have these conversations with those who follow him right at the time where he's got these huge crowds that have kind of gathered because they really like what he's doing for them. Like they're, he's, he's healing them, you know, he's doing all these great things, telling these great stories. And then he'll turn around and he'll say stuff like this. And this, this is what we found in Luke chapter 14. He says this, now great, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, and you're like reading that, like what, like I thought Jesus is all about like love, and stuff like that, like what does he mean by this, and and in the context of what he's talking about here, he doesn't actually mean, you know, if you're going to follow me, all of a sudden, you have to hate your parents, like that's not what he's saying here, He's saying in comparison to the kind of love and relationship that you have with me, of putting me first in your life, it's almost like like there's no comparison in the relationship. It's a contrast of relationship. Like, if you're going to follow me, like, I'm number one. I'm first. I'm above all of these other relationships, parents, wife, children, siblings. And even when it comes to your own life like how you view yourself like I am primary and he and then he goes on and says whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple now for us today this idea of a cross like we have this nice clean wooden cross that sits here in the front and we talk about the cross a lot for them in that day like the cross would have been like this horrific cruel torture device that the Romans used to keep control and they would have witnessed daily these crucifixions that would take place. Like this would stir up in their mind like, oh my gosh, that's what it means to follow you? That I've got to take up my cross and carry it with me daily? And then he says this, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation, he is not able to finish. And all who see him mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king at war, in other words, going to battle, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all, they, all he has cannot be my disciple. It, Jesus talks about what it means to follow him, to count the cost. And you're, you may be sitting here and say, wait a second. That's not what it seemed like it's all about. Like you guys talk a lot about love and grace and you know, this free gift that Jesus offers us and and that's true that's still true there's this is not an issue of earning anything with God I mean Jesus has done everything for us on the cross and all we have to do is accept him and 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 and, and then give our life to him like that is what following Jesus is about but but here's the truth that we have to understand that it's not just that we make Jesus Savior of our lives, but there's also, we also make him Lord of our lives, and we don't understand that concept of Lord, we don't really talk about Lord, we don't have Lords in our life a whole lot, but it's the idea that we complete, like, everything belongs to him, like, we turn our lives over to him, and normally you would be saying, that doesn't, like, that doesn't compute, like, why would I do that, and And for most things in life, most people in life, most circumstances that we can think of in life, most relationships that we have, we we can't imagine putting ourselves in that place. But when you consider who Jesus is and and what you consider, more importantly, what he's done for us, that he gave his life for us, that, that as an example of what it meant to lead, like right as he was getting ready to die on the cross, that he put a towel around his waist and he got down on his hands and knees and he washed his disciples' feet as an example of what it meant to lead. When you consider the fact that he created us, he formed us and shaped us, and he knows exactly what it is and how we're supposed to live and that he has connected us back to the source of life, God. And, and, and that he's designed us to live a certain way. To follow him makes sense. Like he leads us in the way that we were designed and supposed to live. Like following him makes sense. Because the truth is, every one of us has a master. Every person has a master. And, and the question that you have to wrestle with is which master are you going to like submit yourself to? Like the one who does all, has done all these things, Jesus, who's done all these things for us, or is it going to be, you know, fill in the blank? Is it going to be yourself? We, we make really, really bad masters. Or is it going to be your job, your career? Is it going to be a relationship? I mean, is it going to be the pursuit of wealth or pursuit of whatever? I mean, those are all, is it going to be, is fear going to be your master? Is pride going to be your master? I mean, we all have masters. And so this morning, we're going to see what this means, like what this counting the cost means, like lived out in a practical example. If you are new or newer with us this morning, we've been going through this book of Acts, which is really about the origin of the church. Like where did the church start? And we've been following along with this story. And what we've seen so far is we've seen God in the person of the Holy Spirit like everyone who has said yes to following Jesus and and have have believed that he is who he says he is and he's done for us what he said and they're following him they have the person of the Holy Spirit in them And, and and the Holy Spirit is the one who's working and moving in the lives of people who have believed in and put their faith in Jesus. And, and this movement of Jesus followers, which just really started with just a few dozen people, has, has exploded to thousands of people over a very short period of time. And, and those in power at the time, the, the religious, the Jewish religious leaders, they don't really like this because it's, it's, it's infringing on their power. It's infringing on their influence. And so they're, they're doing everything that they can to try to slow this down or stop it. And then a few weeks ago we saw like they, they like went all in and, and they grabbed this church leader and they unjustly accused him and they dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death. And we're introduced in that to this young man named Saul. And, and, and then we see, this this group of religious leaders take Saul, this young man named Saul, and then they give him the authority, they empower him to go around and do whatever he can to try to stamp out this movement of Jesus' followers. And so what we see is Saul begins to go house to house and dragging out mothers and fathers and, 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 and bringing them and imprisoning them and even, in some cases, putting them to death. And as a result of this, this group of thousands of Jesus followers who have been gathered in Jerusalem because of this persecution that comes on the, on the church, they, they scatter into the region all the way around, all around. But this doesn't stop the movement. It just continues to spread. What this reminded me of as I was thinking this week and putting this together is this, this really deep theological children's book called The Cat in the Hat Comes Back. If you've ever read this, and, and if you're familiar with the story, like the cat has this pink ring that goes around the, the, to- the, the, the tub after he gets out. And, and regardless of what they try to do to eliminate this pink ring, it just continues to spread and to spread until it covers everything. And that's kind of like what's happening here. Like they're trying to do everything they can to stop this movement of Jesus follower, but everything they do, it just makes it spread further and further and further, because everywhere these Jesus followers goes, they can't help but share the good news about what Jesus has done and the opportunity for this amazing relationship with him and the life that he brings. So, so the religious leaders, in a bold move, decide, you know what, we've kind of taken care of what's happening in Jerusalem, except they've all gone outside the city. So now, Saul, you're going to go outside the city, and, and you're going to take care of all of these different pockets of Jesus followers, right? Sounds like a good idea because all of the other things that work so well. And so while, while Paul is going, or Saul is going to do this on the road, Jesus appears to Saul and basically tells him, Why are you persecuting me? And then, as we learned last week, as Dustin talked about, Saul has this amazing conversion experience where he now becomes a Jesus follower himself. And he spends all of his time and with as many people as talking, talking about who Jesus is, so much so that these same Jewish religious leaders now want to kill Saul. And this is where we pick up the story. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, and it's page 56 in your Acts journal. If you don't have one of these, you're welcome to grab one. They're, they're in the seat underneath in front of you. Um, you're welcome to have one. Just take it and keep it. There's a place you can keep, uh, take notes, and you can follow along as we go. So Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Is where we are. And it says this, and when he, Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. For so they did not believe that he was a disciple. So it's easy when you read this chapter, when you read the entire chapter 9, it seems like there's just like maybe a week or so that passes from the time that that Saul um, you know initially is going to Damascus. He has this conversion experience. You know, he spends some days with this man named Ananias, and his, you know, he, he regains his sight, and then he kind of goes out and spreads the news, and it, it just seems like just a matter of days has passed. And what we find out later in a letter that, that Saul, who is also Paul, spoiler alert, um, will write to a church later in, in, in one of the books of the New Testament, he, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, he says this, he said, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem. So, there's a three-year time period that happens between Acts chapter Acts Acts, Acts nine verse one and this passage. So, three years has taken place, and, and so get this: for for three years, Saul has been going around and sharing Jesus with just about anyone who will listen. And then he comes back to the city where it all began. Like, he comes back to where he was originally sent out, to Jerusalem, where all of the apostles live. And he tries to join them, but they're afraid of him. Like, they're, they won't even have anything to do with him, and he's an outsider. I mean, think of it from their perspective. It makes sense, right? I mean, here is this guy who has done nothing but, like, tear families apart. I mean, he stood and watched their friend Stephen gets stoned to death. And, and it said he, he approved of this. I mean, he, he liked this. He enjoyed watching Stephen die. I mean, can, can, can you imagine that? I mean, the, the people that he's trying to join have probably had friends and family members that he Paul Saul personally has drug off and imprisoned or had been responsible for their death. And now he comes back into this city and he's trying to join them and they're thinking what like this has got to be a joke or this has got to be a ruse like he's just pretending to be a Jesus follower and they don't want anything to do with him because they're afraid that they too will end up like Stephen with a rock on his head but I want to look at this a little bit from Saul's perspective I mean think about this for a moment i mean here you have saul who has a has had a genuine heart change like he has he is different he is not the same person that he was i mean he's experienced the life-changing grace of jesus and know that he still has this awareness of what he has done to jesus followers i mean In another letter, he writes this. He writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He still carries the weight of this. He says, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Like this still weighs on him, even years and years later. So here we have Saul. He's back in Jerusalem. He, he's wanted by the Jewish leaders for being a traitor and he's feared by the Jesus followers because of his past. And, and really in essence, he's alone. And, and the first thing I think that we need to realize is that sometimes following Jesus the cost there's a cost of just being alone. Have you ever have you ever felt this? like not from the standpoint of, like just being alone, but just because of your faith or because of a decision that you've made because you felt Jesus was leading you in some way that you have felt alone? You know, maybe when you said yes to following Jesus, you made that decision, or or even as you've been thinking about that decision, you have family members or there have been family members or friends who, who just don't understand like your decision, like they think that you've lost it, and at best, they kind of tolerate you, but there's really nothing else. But on the other side, like you're trying to make it into this new community of, of Jesus followers, and, and it's not easy, let's be honest. I mean, you come into a group of people who have been together for a while, and they already have relationships established, and, it, and it's really kind of hard to fit in sometimes, Or or, or sometimes you don't understand what they're talking about, like... There's insider words and language that's used, and it's like, I don't really get any of this. Or, or, or even think about the practices. I mean, what group of people get together and sing songs together? And then they drink from tiny cups, and, and you read this ancient collection of books and letters, and, and sometimes you close your eyes and you talk to some, someone you can't even see. Or maybe it's just this: Maybe you're constantly thinking if they really knew what I was, if they really knew who I am, or what I have done, or even what I still think. They never accept me. So you put up walls hoping that you are never found out. And sometimes you feel alone. And maybe this is what is keeping you from taking your next step in your relationship with Jesus. You fear that you will be alone. And understand this, God did not design or create us to be alone. In fact, when he created man, he said it is not good for man to be alone. It's not part of his design. That's why it feels so wrong and so bad. And I'm guessing this is what Saul is feeling when he comes to Jerusalem. I mean, think about it. Why is Saul here in the first place? It doesn't really tell us, like, but we know the Holy Spirit is working and active and moving. and And my guess is, and again, I don't think this is a huge stress, but my guess is the Holy Spirit told Paul, told Saul, that he needs to go to Jerusalem, and so he just followed. He's following Jesus, and he's alone. And understand this: there are going to be times and places that we will be led. That we don't just feel awkward, we'll actually feel alone. And Jesus in this is not being mean and he's not being insensitive. It's all part of what his plan and design is. He has a reason for it. And it's part of the cost that we have to consider when we follow Jesus. But, but here's the truth. Here's the truth. We are never alone. He is always with us. When he gathered his group of followers and he gave them what we call the Great Commission, which is really not just for his, like his close followers, but for all of us, where he told, he said, you know, all authority has been given to me, and I want you to go out, and I want you to make disciples, I want you to make followers of me everywhere you go. And then he makes this promise, he says, and I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Like I'm gonna always be with you. And that promise came true when the Holy Spirit came. Like God's presence is with us all the time. We are never alone. And in this case, not only does he have the spirit, but we see as we read that he didn't stay alone. Acts chapter 9, verse 27. I love the word but in scripture. (laughs) But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on how the road he had seen the Lord and who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus so he went and, and so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord so here we see the holy spirit using Barnabas and Barnabas kind of like vouches for Paul or for Saul he he says hey look he is not the same person like this change is legitimate and you see the holy spirit using Saul or using Barnabas here as a bridge builder And sometimes following Jesus can cost us our reputation, can cost you your reputation, because I want us to think about this for a little bit from the perspective of Barnabas, like where Barnabas is. You know, Barnabas, we were introduced to Barnabas early in this book of Acts where he was such an encourager, like he was known to the group of apostles as such an encourager, like they literally changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. Like, he had a, a really great reputation with this group of church leaders. Like, he, he's the man, you know? And then so Barnabas, to, to do this for Saul, I mean, think about this. I mean, what if, what if Barnabas is wrong? What if, what if Saul's just like, he is really just pretending? Or what if this doesn't stick? Like, Saul goes back to his old ways, like he caves to the pressure, Or, or, or maybe even this, what, what would people, what do people think? Like, so Barnabas, you're going to stick up for this murderer, this person who tore families apart? Like, you're going to vouch for him? Like, it's bad enough if you just, like, hang out with him, but now you're vouching for him? And even from the standpoint of this, like, as he's going up to the apostles, you know, this had to be running through his mind. What if, what if they don't even listen to me? Like, what if they don't believe me? Like, do, do my words even carry any weight with them? I mean, this is all of the questions that you would ask about relationships. And like Barnabas, we need to be bridge builders even if it's at the cost or expense of our reputation. Let me ask you this question. Who is it you are ashamed of or avoid because you think it will tarnish your reputation is there a certain person or are there types of people that come to mind when I ask you that question maybe it's just this maybe if we were just like to completely like break things open this morning maybe just admitting to somebody else that you follow Jesus like you're a Christian and let's be honest being a Christian isn't very popular today and unfortunately, much of this has been brought on by those in the in the big C church who have not represented Jesus well or are misrepresented His message. And as a result, to be a Christian automatically means that you're closed-minded, that you're mean, that you're hateful, that you aren't fun, that you're bigoted, that you're foolish, or just simply uninformed or ignorant. I mean, is is that... What your reputation, like protecting that reputation. Or, or maybe it's not your reputation that you're concerned about. Maybe, maybe the cost for you is just your comfort. Or, or your convenience. Like maybe that's the thing. And as followers of Jesus, he calls us to be bridge builders. Both with those who follow Jesus. And those who have not yet made that decision. And for those who follow Jesus, we want... I just, you know, even when it comes to just like the small piece of this, when it comes to like our gatherings on Sunday morning, like when we come in, and I think for us to realize what a huge step it is for people to walk in this space, like just from a relationship standpoint, whether, you know, whether you've been part of another church or whatever, or or this is your first time, this is a huge step, And, and, and here's the thing, like, when we gather together on a Sunday, it's 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 not about us. It really is. It's not about me. There, there are two two groups or two one individual and one group that really it's about. It's about God. I mean that's that's who it ultimately is all about. But it's really about others as well. It's what He has called us to, and we need to move outside of our comfort and our circles and look for those who we can connect with. And we need to open up our homes and our lives to others. I mean, that's kind of what he has called us to. That's the cost of following. And for those who aren't part, have not yet said yes to Jesus, here's the thing. We we have to stop putting up walls. Whether those walls are intentional or unintentional, we just have to stop. it. We have to stop with the rhetoric. We have to stop with the posts. We need, we need to go where people are at. We need to invest our time and our energy and our effort and our attention in those who don't yet know Jesus. Those are our neighbors. Those are our coworkers. Those are our friends in some cases. These are even our family members. And hear me when I say this. This is so important. Nobody wants to be your project. So so your intention and your motive for doing this matters. And and it's got to be motivated out of a love for who Jesus is. And it's got to be motivated out of love for who they are. And and I think Saul learned from Barnabas' example here. I mean, later when He's known as the Apostle Paul. He writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. He says this. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself, not, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And then he says this, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And this is why he does it. I do it all for the sake of of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Did you hear the motive? In other words, what, what Saul or Paul is saying here is he said, I've set aside everything, my wants, my desires, my opinions, even my rights, and even my reputation, so that as many people as possible can come to know Jesus. Acts 9, 29. And his, he, Saul, spoke and as and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist, but they were seeking to kill him. That's an encouraging verse, isn't it? Hey, welcome to Jerusalem. <laughs> and this, by the way, is the same group of people who had Stephen stoned. I mean, don't miss that. This is a This is a Greek, uh, these are mostly Greek-speaking Jews that have converted into Judaism. And so what we see here is very simple, that, that following Jesus could cost his life. Following Jesus could cost his life. In fact, ultimately, following Jesus does cost Saul his life. I mean, he, he is only in Jerusalem for like 15 days. That Again, the same passage in Galatians tells us that he spent about 15 days in Jerusalem. And people wanted him dead because he was talking about Jesus too much. And obviously here in the United States, we don't have like this threat of death situation. But I will tell you this, and we've shared this before. There are places across this world where every day Christians are losing their life. People who follow Jesus are losing their life because of their faith. It's still happening today. The cost of following Jesus for some is their life. Acts 9, verses 30 and 31. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him, Saul, down to Caesarea and sent him, again Saul, off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit Get this—it multiplied. Notice a couple of things here in this verse that are very subtle. The first is the word "brothers." No longer are they disciples; no the longer are they apostles, but now they are brothers. I mean, there's there's a change here that's happened. Like they've been Saul has been accepted because of Barnabas risking his reputation, and and, and then they also send Saul home because. He is Saul of Tarsus, which means his hometown is Tarsus. And so Saul gets sent back to Tarsus, and he will spend between 8 and 12 years in Tarsus before we'll hear about him again. And, and most of the rest of the Acts is about Paul. The next time we meet him, he's going to be Paul. And, and he will become the most prolific missionary in the history of the world. And you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, oh my gosh, this was really, really heavy. <laughs> it seems like it's too much. But let me, let me just encourage you with this. I want to leave you with this thought. The cost of following Jesus is worth it. I mean... It's in this text right here. You know, you see the results of of Saul and what he has done. The results of this is that the church just continues to multiply, like more and more people are falling in love with Jesus, are following Jesus, are discovering the life that's available in Jesus, and they're giving, they're surrendering their life to him, and they also are following Jesus, and they're telling others about Jesus. I mean, this is an incredible, beautiful thing. And, And when I read this passage, like, Studying for this, this question just kept on going over and over and over again in my mind. It was this. I wonder if I were to sit down and talk to Barnabas and Saul and ask them this question. Was it worth it? Like, was it worth it? Because ultimately both of these men would give their lives because of their belief in Jesus. And we're going to read a lot about what happens to Paul through the rest of this narrative. But my guess is their answer would be the same, and it would be yes. In in fact, Saul, later Paul, would write in another one of his letters, he would say this, and this is his response. Philippians chapter three, verses seven through eleven, he says this for his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's a very generous translation of what that word means. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. In other words, I put my trust in Him, I put my faith in Him, I will follow Him. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Is the cost worth it, Saul? Absolutely. I I stand on this stage today because there are people in my life who said the cost was worth it. You are here this morning because there are people, whether you know them or not, that said the cost is worth it. I mean, we're reading through dozens and dozens of people in this book who said the cost is worth it. Know that the cost of following Jesus is always worth it let's pray father we thank you we thank you for the faithfulness of those that we read about in this book father we're thankful most of all for the faithfulness of jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us that he made a way that we can have a relationship with you that we know that you are good and that you are perfect in all of your ways That we can trust you, that we can follow you, we can give our lives to you fully. That we don't have to be controlled or ruled by anything else in our life, but Father, we can follow you because you are good. And Father, I just pray that you would help us in this, Father, with your spirit, your Holy Spirit, that we continue to shape us to be more like Jesus. Because, Father, you have not left us alone in this. You are continuing to move and shape us. And I just pray, Father, that your spirit would work in, work in us as individuals and as a faith community, God, to be more like you, to reflect you well, to share your message well with those that we encounter. And it's in Jesus' name I ask these things.